a source that's readily reliable and renewable. One that we can source locally, not globally. A fuel that can catalyse our renewable energy generation and electrify our economy. A transport fuel and an industrial input replacement as a feedstock to produce commodities such as ammonia and steel. That fuel of course is green hydrogen. And uh, that's an opportunity for Australia to be an exporter of that hydrogen. Victoria has many other competitive advantages that will support the growth of a thriving hydrogen industry. And if there's any industry that's, that's proven that it can move at the fast pace that it needs to, it's the gas industry. In closing, we all know the best element we can deliver to investors is certainty. Hi, I'm James Fitzpatrick, Senior Associate at Michelson Alexander, and welcome to the first episode of our mini-series on Australia's hydrogen future. In collaboration with the Australian Hydrogen Forum in Sydney, myself and my colleague Elise Gatt caught up with political and industry leaders to discuss what's next for the hydrogen economy. You're about to hear the voices of the Honourable Lily D'Ambrosio, Victoria's Energy Minister, the Honourable Mick Debrini, Queensland's Minister for Hydrogen, Jordan McCullum, the National Policy Manager for the Australian Pipes and Gas Association, and Kobad Babnari, the Head of Strategy for Bloomberg NEF. In this opening episode, these four will step you through the themes that dominated discussions at the Forum in Sydney, from the war in Ukraine, which has turned the energy market on its head, to the ongoing debate within energy circles about the respective merits of blue and green hydrogen. So, without further ado, here's the first hydrogen minister of any state, Queenslander, Mick Debrini. There can be no doubt that the recent world events are continuing to build the case that Australia must act to achieve energy security and energy independence. Our local fuel and energy prices are exposed to the volatility of global markets and their supply chains. It doesn't matter if it's coal, oil or gas, where international prices drive what consumers pay, we must act. Our local fossil fuel supplies are prone to interruption by severe weather. In late February, we saw tankers trying to dock at a port ravaged by a flood and coal stockpiles that were soaking wet. A pandemic followed by natural disasters and then Russia's invasion of the Ukraine make it clear that Australia must achieve full energy independence. If we achieve that by diversifying our local energy generation, we can shield our nation from foreign companies and foreign powers. We can power our cars and our businesses with Australian-made energy. And we can achieve prices according to the cost of energy production here at home, not the cost of energy production overseas. That means forging ahead, forging ahead to develop a diversified, low emissions, locally priced energy ecosystem. But there is an even more pressing reason for us to act on decarbonisation. The events of early this month across Australia have reinforced how critical it is to avoid the catastrophic impacts of climate change. I was in Gympie, north of Brisbane, and stood in buildings that were submerged by a 23 metre flood. More than 60,000 people were evacuated from their homes in New South Wales. And the alarm bells are deafening. Dr Andrew Forrest spoke here in Queensland last month about the need for a new energy source. A source that's readily reliable and renewable. One that we can source locally, not globally. 
a fuel that can catalyse our renewable energy generation and electrify our economy. A transport fuel and an industrial input replacement as a feedstock to produce commodities such as ammonia and steel. That fuel, of course, is green hydrogen. Now, I thought I'd take this opportunity to update you on Queensland's development of our green hydrogen industry, our progress and what's ahead. In Queensland, we've already committed to re-industrialising our economy with secure, reliable, renewable energy and green hydrogen. What that means is large-scale manufacturing of the entire hydrogen supply chain, from domestic use right through to large-scale export. It also means delivering large electricity consumers with reliable, comparatively affordable electricity here in Queensland. So what will it take to deliver industry large-scale affordable green hydrogen for domestic use? What will it take for us to secure significant export deals beyond the trials and pilots that are currently proving successful? Well, firstly, Queensland will need to deliver around eight gigawatts of thermed renewables, which will, of course, require significant investment in new transmission, the exact scale of which is currently being determined. Secondly, around three and a half gigawatts of pumped hydro storage will be required, with up to two gigawatts of that potentially already coming from our proposed Barumba Dam project. This is all at the same time, of course, as making sure we continue to deliver reliable and affordable power to households and small business. In closing, we all know the best element we can deliver to investors is certainty. As far as I'm concerned, there is nothing more certain than the Palaszczuk government's commitment to 50% renewables by 2030 and net zero emissions by 2050. But I also think it's fair if you want to see the pathway. I think it's fair for you if you want to understand how government will deliver on what I've just discussed. I think it is fair for industry to want to understand how we will achieve our renewable energy and zero emissions target. You'll want to understand how we'll modernise our existing power stations so that we don't shut the gate on those important public assets. And our forthcoming energy plan will outline that pathway. Finally, friends, Queensland remains well placed as a renewable energy and hydrogen superpower in a nation that can be one of the first in the world to truly achieve that status. So let's continue to work together on that. My name is Kobat Babnagri, and I'm the Global Head of Strategy for Bloomberg NEF. Bloomberg NEF is a strategic research provider. Um, so we work with companies around the world um, producing independent research on the energy transition. Uh, so everything from clean energy to electric cars to, um, to low emissions agriculture. And um, clean hydrogen is a, is a central part of that story. Uh, so we've got a team of people around the world that are analysing the hydrogen industry and the market, technologies, the policies, and providing uh, independent research to companies, governments, investors, uh, energy users use to inform uh, their decision making. So you presented at the conference today and you've been speaking to a few people here. Just wanted to sort of get your uh, view on some of the topics that are coming up and, and what you've sort of heard from the floor. A topic that you always hear about at hydrogen conferences and this, this one definitely is, there's this sort of contest between what's called blue and green, right? So blue hydrogen is hydrogen made from fossil fuels where the carbon will be captured. 
and green hydrogen is that made from renewable power. And there's, a, there's sort of an ongoing tussle about which is the best. And, um, and you have passionate voices on both sides. Uh, so that, that's been a theme. Um, there's, of course, a theme about cost and the need for cost reduction um, because you know, hydrogen is expensive today. We need the cost to come down for its economic use to be unlocked. Still fair uh, a few years until that happens, but um, everyone's pretty confident that it will. Um, there's a bit of a theme about Ukraine, unsurprisingly. That's really been a, a, you know, a huge disruptor to, um, you know, of course, uh, the global economy and you know, outside of all the human suffering. But um, a you know, big part of that is the disruption to the global energy system. And that's, uh, that's shot natural gas prices way up, which changes the equation for the economics of hydrogen. So that's been an interesting theme we've heard about. Um, and then uh, there's also a, a theme, a discussion point about where's the best place to use hydrogen, what industry is going to sort of be primed to start using it first. Uh, and again, that, that's, there's always a bit of a, a contest around that. Um, some people like to think that cars are going to be the thing. Um, other people think that it's, no, it's going to be large-scale users like making steel or making chemicals. So um, that's been a theme as well. You mentioned a, a pretty important topic there that's been discussed at, at the conference around Ukraine and the effect that that's had on fuel prices globally. You mentioned that it, it, it's also or, or could have an impact on the future of hydrogen in Australia. Could you explain what that impact might be and, and why it's relevant to the burgeoning sector? Yeah, sure. So um, it, out of the you, you, you know, Ukraine invasion, the European Union are trying to um, accelerate really their, um, their divorce from Russian gas. Uh, so that's been one of the Achilles heels really of European um, energy security and European security more broadly over the last couple of decades is that they have become very dependent on natural gas supply from Russia. Um, and uh, most people will know that the sort of Western world has united with a really strong suite of sanctions against Russia to try and punish it for um, this invasion of Ukraine. Uh, but they have exempted energy because they are just so dependent on the energy flow from Russia. If um, Europe was to say, we're gonna turn off the tap um, and not accept any of your your Russian gas, then um, you know they would uh, homes would go unheated and industry would run out of fuel. So it's a huge issue in the European continent, and more broadly, um, because Russia is such a huge supplier of natural gas, um, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, supplier exporter on the whole, it disrupts the whole uh, the whole global uh, trading system of energy. Um, so. Uh, Europe has already announced its intention that it wants to really start to phase down its reliance on Russian gas. Um, and you know, this crisis has uh, given them the motivation to do that as fast as possible. But doing that is really hard. You have to replace it with some other form of energy. And um, unsurprisingly, the consensus is they need that to be green energy. So this is going to accelerate the energy transition in Europe. And... Um, and one of the things they're going to need is energy that has a gas form, and that could, that's hydrogen. So, um, so Europe is going to be hungry for hydrogen, and it's going to need to come from somewhere. Europe can produce a bunch of it onshore, but 
they've got space constraints. They're not as lucky as we are here to have a lot of outback and a lot of um, open paddocks. Uh, so uh, they're going to be importing that just as they currently do gas. And uh, that's an opportunity for Australia to be an exporter of that hydrogen. It's also an opportunity for North Africa, for the Middle East, for Brazil, for you know, many other countries who are eyeing the same opportunity. But it, you know, Australia likes to, um, uh, likes to really think we've got a, a, a big role to play and we, we likely do. So that could be a big opportunity for everyone here. And the, not only the strategic imperative to buy hydrogen has increased, but the economics have improved too because of this big shock to the market the price of natural gas in Europe has gone from about five or so dollars per unit now to 30 plus dollars per unit. So, you know, it's, 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 um, it's gone up by six times or even more. And that means that the gap between um, renewable hydrogen or clean hydrogen and, um, and, and the current natural gas has really narrowed. And so that's made the opportunity uh, even closer. So you mentioned there that there are countries who are looking to import green hydrogen and to decarbonise their energy mix and that there's a lot of countries sort of jockeying to be that exporter and Australia sees that was potentially an opportunity for Australia to be a part of that. What should Australia be doing to put itself front of line? Yeah, so, I mean, the Australian government is doing... Um, things to try and, and uh, support the ambitions of exporters. There's a fair bit of grant funding on the table um, and there's been a lot of work that's been done by the government, our science agencies, cooperatives with industry, etc. cetera. Um, but there, there could be more uh, that, that could be done. And um, one, of the, one of the key things actually is to start using hydrogen at home. Uh, that may sound funny, but you need to be able to build the skills and the capabilities to be able to build projects. Um, and you know, you need to have engineers that know how to build this, design this stuff. You need to have plumbers and you know, and 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 um, welders that know how to deal with uh, and actually physically build a hydrogen kit. You need to have bankers that are comfortable with financing projects, etc. So you've got to build that local skill. And, um, and so stimulating local demand helps to build that base to then be able to export it. Um, and another thing that, that could be looked at is um, you know, some sort of preferential um, arrangements either by form of subsidy or perhaps taxation benefits that um, help the business case and accelerate the, the business case and make, make the, basically the, the, the sums work from the, from the accountants to say, yeah, this project makes sense and we're ready to go. And also to say that um, to the world that, hey, Australia's the place to do business. Now, people already naturally think about Australia as an energy exporter and a green energy exporter because the amazing wealth of resource we have. But if then you can put financial incentives on the table that make it a no-brainer, then you know, you're, gonna excel, you're gonna turbocharge that development. So that's maybe something that could be done. So you're talking there about um, ensuring the sums add up when you're building kit. Um, and we've heard from a, a lot of the gas producers attending the forum today that blue hydrogen is front of mind for them. Well, they form um, their zero, net zero emissions plans and investing in something like that. You want a 20 year um, 
you know, you want to be able to use something like that for at least 20 years. Um, in your spe speech, however, I, I, you, you alluded to the fact that um, blue hydrogen is going to become the white elephant yep. um, by 2030. Yeah. Um, so could you offer some advice to those producers and, and elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, so, so we're, we're bearish, I guess, on the prospects for blue hydrogen. So on that whole debate, um, you know, we have a pretty clear stance on, on one side of it. Um, and that's not from any ideological perspective. Um, look, if blue hydrogen could work and, and, and work at scale, great. Um, we need more clean energy and wherever it comes from is, a, a you know, is, is fine. We need to accelerate this transition. Um, but we just don't see the math working for, for so-called blue hydrogen. And um, that's because you have to uh, buy natural gas to make that hydrogen and then make it more expensive by capturing the carbon dioxide and then burying it. And all of that means that you have a structurally high cost. Um, and there's a little bit of scope for that to fall, but it's not radical. It's not radical. But the cost of making green hydrogen from solar or wind through a device called an electrolyzer has a lot of scope to fall in cost because it's, it's more like a solar panel or like a microprocessor or a mobile phone. Like this is technology that can be made in a factory. It can be mass produced. And we know that when you produce more of those widgets, they get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And um, you know, that's called a learning effect. And, and green hydrogen will benefit massively from a learning effect. And it's also riding the wave of everybody knows solar gets cheaper year on year. And the same thing is true about wind energy. And so um, it's riding down what we call the cost curve, whilst blue hydrogen is, is kind of stuck. It really can't, can't fall much. And so we see green hydrogen undercutting blue hydrogen um, you know, it's sort of in different parts of the world between 2027 and 2030. And so, you know, 2030 is the places where natural gas is really cheap, like um, like in Russia or in the Middle East or in Canada, um, and some would say in, in Western Australia. Uh, but, you know, after that time, somebody could go and build a green hydrogen facility next to a billion dollar blue hydrogen facility and undercut it on cost, um, you know, from the year 2030 onwards. So, you know, somebody, a gas company could go in and, and spend half a billion dollars building a blue hydrogen um, facility, and it's gonna have two years in the sun before it gets undercut. Like that's, that's not a good way to run a business. So um, we think the math is not really gonna work on our current understanding. And so we don't think there's gonna be a lot of projects to get built, particularly in Australia. It may happen in other parts of the world where there's tax incentives and there's you know a, a lot more state support, like in the United States. But in Australia, we just sort of don't see it happening. Victoria, we are now shifting our focus to the next big emissions challenge in the energy sector. And that is, what do we do about natural gas? Firstly, here are some facts about Victoria and our reliance on gas, which are rooted in historical gas supplies and our colder winters. Victoria's share of the Australian population is around 25%, yet our domestic gas consumption is 37% of the East Coast gas market. There are 2.2 million customers connected to gas. 61% of Victoria's gas use is residential and commercial. Space heating is the leading use of natural gas in Victoria 
at 60.5%. And due to Victoria's colder winters, winter peak demand is three times higher than in summer. The second highest gas use is industry for manufacturing process heating at 30%. The gas sector accounts for 15.8% of Victoria's total emissions. My objective as Minister is to land the critical pathways we need to reduce emissions in the gas sector with a clear eye on what we need to achieve by 2030. Importantly, as we've done with decarbonising the electricity sector, my intent is to deliver economic growth and investment, good jobs and greater affordability for all Victorians as we carefully lay down the policies along those critical pathways. And renewable hydrogen, along with electrification and improving energy efficiency, will play a key role in that journey. We are the only state to do this important work and we stand to reap significant benefits as a result. As well as our robust climate policy and gas substitution work, Victoria has many other competitive advantages that will support the growth of a thriving hydrogen industry. We anticipate that the emerging hydrogen sector will create more than 7,600 jobs and add around $11 billion annually to Australia's economy. To be at the forefront of that thriving new economy, we must scale up, skill up and build the right supply chains. The three key focus areas are creating the right foundations, connecting the economy and leading the way. Through actions under these pillars, we will create long-term jobs through new career pathways and skills clusters, enable the export of renewable energy and help us achieve net zero. A particularly exciting area of our renewable hydrogen industry development is the regional hydrogen technology clusters, which our government has funded in partnership with National Energy Resources Australia. These four clusters located around the state bring together core elements of Victoria's hydrogen industry, connecting businesses, universities, innovators, local and state government agencies and communities in developing renewable hydrogen projects. These clusters will accelerate investment and enable innovation and information sharing across the industry. Victoria has four of the nation's regional hydrogen technology clusters, located in Gippsland, the Mallee, Clayton in Melbourne Southeast and Greater Geelong. These sites have been chosen because they have the regional capabilities and resources to flourish as part of Australia's renewable hydrogen future. The development of a thriving renewable hydrogen sector in Victoria offers unprecedented opportunities for our state. It is an exciting time, and I want to thank you for taking the time to be here, ensuring collaboration is at the very heart of this groundbreaking work. My name is Jordan McCollum. I'm the National Policy Manager for the Australia Pipelines and Gas Association. Uh, we represent Australia's gas transmission pipeline industries, so the, the own, owners and operators of, uh, of gas infrastructure in Australia, as well as all of the different pieces of industry that, that feed into to make that industry thrive. So your different engineering firms, your, your parts suppliers, um, all those different bits and pieces that, that make it really yeah, live and breathe. Great. And can I ask how you got involved in this industry? So, um, yeah, I've been involved in the in the wholesale gas industry for the last 15 years or so. Um, I started out in operations, moved into engineering and then into more commercial roles. And as I moved through that, I really got a feel for the sheer utility of gas infrastructure as, as a low cost, high throughput, high flexibility form of energy transport. But around that 10 year mark, I, I started to come across the existential crisis of, yeah, there's all that, but it's carbon intensive. 
and I started to to really challenge myself on you know where where this where the future my future and where the future of the industry needs to go. And that was about the time I discovered the whole concept of renewable gases and the fact that we we could still we could deliver a carbon neutral product through this high utility infrastructure, um, which I've seen for the last fifteen years delivering really good energy solutions to customers. Um, so yeah, hence I find myself in the policy space talking a lot about how the, the existing incumbent gas industry um, not only needs to, to survive and thrive today, but evolve into the renewable gas industry of the future. So you speak there of uh, seeing this evolution of the renewable gas industry in your time in the industry. How does APGA involve itself in the burgeoning hydrogen industry and what role does APGA play in that? Especially in the policy space, um, we engage with uh, federal and state uh, departments uh, and, uh, and leaders um, to ensure that the, the development of that policy conversation and uh, things like the, the evolution of the national gas law, um, evolution of state-based programs to, to um, evolve this industry, um, are well informed with how the, the gaseous energy industry works today and how that can be used to um, best create the renewable gaseous industry of the future. Um, not just that though, so that's the really future focused stuff and, and we also do a fair bit of advocacy for that, um, you know, that potential of renewable gases in different markets. But really importantly, um, renewable gases and hydrogen in particular they're not a revolution, they're an evolution of an existing industry. And if that industry isn't handled well in the next five to 10 years, um, we could find ourselves having a harder transition to, to using hydrogen and biogas and those types of things into the future um, compared to if we, if we do handle the industry today with that knowledge that it is going to evolve, um, we, we can really set ourselves up to, to make sure that we deliver the lowest cost pathway to using renewable gases into the future. And so you talked a lot about the evolution of the industry. Um, could you give us a bit more of a flavour about how um, the existing pipes and the existing infrastructure and the existing uh, industry uh, can uh, sort of help drive, can be used and how the industry can drive the, the hydrogen transition? One of the things that isn't very well known um, about the Australian energy sector is that you know, um, we, we actually use as a country more energy as gaseous energy um, than electricity. And that's delivered to, to Australia's energy customers via 39,000 kilometres of uh, pipeline infrastructure, which is immediately, immediately ready to, to receive biomethane, um, as, as biomethane is essentially the same chemical composition to, uh, to natural gas, and I could rabbit hole on that, but I won't. Um, and, and what we're finding as we, as we do the analysis is the majority of our, and, and the majority is me being conservative, the majority, if not all, um, of our gas distribution networks are ready to take 10% hydrogen today. Um, our existing gas appliances, type A, so the, the typical customer appliances, are ready to take around 10% today. And a lot of our industry is ready to take that today as well. Um, so there is, there's, a, there's an immediate pathway that can occur, but it's not just about, in, in those immediate pathways, it's not just about starting to decarbonise. Um, you know, that, that, um, that potential demand from gas distribution networks, um, uh, the Australian Hydrogen Council did a little bit of analysis and found that there's a potential for about 
72 kilotons per annum worth of hydrogen to go into those networks for a 10% blend. Now that's an immediate demand base right there, ready to go, but not just immediate demand base, a demand base that you don't have to be, you know, at, an, at a reliability level of 99.99%, um, where you, you would need that if you were creating your end-to-end -end value chain. So if you're developing a hydrogen, hydrogen production and you have a customer that's immediately needing to use it and is basing their entire business on your ability to produce, there's a lot of pressure there to get, you know, get things 100% right. If you're able to um, you know, connect with one of, one of our members who are, are trying to evolve their gas distribution networks into being able to take these products, and that's more about the regulatory side of things than the actual physical side of things, um, you, know, you, you can afford to have that, that reliability slip in, in the first you know, 10, 20 hydrogen production facilities feeding into these networks because the network doesn't need you to be that reliable in that first 10%. So there's a real advantage there in being able to be a first mover without having the the uh, risk of needing to have really, really high uptime. Obviously, you have a range of members across the industry and at the Australian Hydrogen Forum so far, we've heard from a few industry leaders who have said, you know, the key to hydrogen or the transition to hydrogen in Australia will be collaboration across the industry. Um, between industry players and government, um, it's really the only way that it's going to succeed. We can't operate in silo because it just won't be effective and it won't be efficient. Mm. Is there a role for your association to play in, uh, in encouraging that collaboration and bringing members together um, to help this transition to hydrogen? Oh, definitely. And I mean, that's um, it's not just a role for us, it's a role for, for our members. Um, one of the really interesting observations I make, and I'm not sure if anyone else has, has mentioned this on, on your on your podcast over the last couple of days, but um, this year the Australian Hydrogen Forum has immediately followed the Australian Domestic Gas Outlook. Now, that's a that's a forum where um, you know existing gas industry supply and demands and, and midstream participants get together and talk about the the next you know two three five ten year window of what's going to happen in the domestic gas industry in Australia now take that forum you know take that uh, conference back about five years ago there was no mention of renewable gases that whole conference was suppliers and uh, suppliers and customers throwing stones at each other and then blaming the pipelines when they had a, a free moment um, but uh, but over time, that started to evolve. And circa two or three years ago, there was a couple hush mentions of the potential of hydrogen. A year ago, there was there was one or two presentations on it. This year, I would take a thumb sucker saying that there was at least two thirds of the presentations that sig had significant focus, if not entire focus, on renewable gases in the domestic gas market. So the, the incumbent industry is really coming on that journey and, and starting to understand that this is their future. Now, coming into the Australian Hydrogen Forum, I'm starting to see a little bit of that where incumbent industry players are starting to, to take the podium and talk about how they're integrating this new industry into them. That's one of the most powerful things I could see to potentially occur in the Australian, in the Australian hydrogen industry and, and broader renewable gases industry is for this, this growing industry to, to leverage the existing industry and start to take advantage of the fact that there is you know, 30 to $50 billion worth of infrastructure in the ground already, ready to be used, ready to take your product to customers who already want your product. Um, 
just to make to make life easier developing those first handful of um, of hydrogen production and and you know biomethane production facilities one of the other key players obviously in the in the burgeoning industry is government and we've got um, obviously state governments and federal government um, and over the course of the forum we've heard each state government say that they're the best uh, that in terms of hydrogen and they're mm-hmm. the best place mm-hmm. to invest in in hydrogen from your point of view what should governments be doing aside from just uh, funding projects like and we've, we've heard a a few examples of that from Arena and how they're rolling out funding of the industry. But aside from investment, how can governments encourage um, industry to help the hydrogen industry develop? Yeah, it's a really good question because it's not a simple answer. Um, I mean, there's there's probably two conversations that come to mind with that, and it's you know one is how do we actually develop an industry? And, and we've got a strong, indus- uh, strong example with what happened with the uh, renewable electricity industry. And, and um, I'm not sure if you've talked to him, but, uh, but um, Craig, uh, Craig from AGIG has, has really gone into detail about that. Um, but the other thing is, you know, not ha- having a bit of structure around how we develop this. And, and I see there being four levels to, to what needs to occur to develop this new market. Number one is, um, removing the imposing regulation. That, that's already been kicked off by DISA with, with the changes to the national gas law. Number two is um, being able to connect the product to the customer, and that's being started with things like the Guarantee of Origin Scheme. Number three on top of that is building out markets and allowing those products to be traded freely and in a liquid format across the energy industry. And number four is providing incentives to use that market. And I've got, I've got a strong belief that considering the, the focus on, um, on renewable energy at the moment, um, we're not going to, we don't ha- necessarily need number four. Once we get that market in place, we're going to have customers really you know, running at those renewable gas certificates or guarantee of origin certificates. Um, I do believe we do also need something like renewable gas target to help drive the purchase, but um, there's, it's not going to be a market in, you know, wanting for a customer. The other side of it, though, is is making sure that we're delivering, um, you know, government policy that that enables everything. And there is, um, you know, there's talk of some government policies which which could go down the pathway of of impeding the current gas industry um, in favour of of picking the winner of electrification for decarbonisation of gas demand. And um, you know, I, I have I have really high hopes and strong hopes that. Um, despite the concern with those processes, that they will take on an enable everything type platform and we'll see the value in, in maintaining the gas infrastructure of today so it has time to evolve into the renewable gas infrastructure of tomorrow rather than potentially losing that opportunity. Throughout the course of this forum, there have been three key themes that have come up so far. Um, how do we reduce the price of hydrogen how do we increase the social license or the demand for hydrogen? And then finally, how can we scale up the production of hydrogen? So as an association with a lot of members in this industry, I'll, I'll put the question to you. Are your members um, ready to scale up and do they have the appetite to do so? In short, yes. This is an industry with a track record, a recent track record and a long track record of scaling really, really quickly in the terms of typical investment cycles. If there's one thing that our members are asking me right now, it is to try and help them engage more in this conversation about the growing renewable gases industry. 
and that's one thing where you know myself and, and Steve Davies, our, our CEO, are really focusing on ways to to connect this ready capability that wants to be involved, wants to engage with with exactly this audience in the room today about how they can help them be successful and how they can use their, their decades of knowledge about development of, of gas infrastructure and gas production facilities to help this all get off the ground and reach the scale that's necessary to be successful. So, in short, yes. Thanks for joining us on the first episode and thanks to our four guests. Next up on Michelson Alexander Explains, we'll be discussing some of the cutting edge technology that can change the hydrogen production game with Chris Dunks from Synergy Met and Roger Knight from Energis. In the meantime, make sure you subscribe to the show. Finally, a big thanks to our partner, the Australian Hydrogen Forum, for making this series possible. There's going to be plenty more discussion of all things H2 during the Australian Energy Week. On June 8th, several key hydrogen industry players will gather again to discuss the future of hydrogen as part of Australia's energy mix.